Hello, folks, and welcome to the On Being Christian podcast. This is podcast number 20, two, zero. The On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and it's a pleasure to be with you. I've been doing quite a lot of traveling and so I might have fallen behind. I try to get one of these posted every week. I actually have one waiting in the wings, um, and I just never got to push go live on it. Um, but this was something, the subject for the day was something that kind of set on me over the past four or five days. And um, and like in most situations when those things, when you start dwelling on something, you start thinking about something, it just seems to work its way to the surface, or it does with me anyway. And so I, I very much want to talk to you today about the idea of standing. The idea of standing. We're going to define it. We're going to look at it. We're going to tear it apart. We're going to um, perhaps have a look at it from the perspective of something that's not necessarily entirely accepted today. We used to understand, or the society that we now live in used to value people who stood for things. Even if it was offensive at some level, it was them standing where they thought they should. Uh, freedom of conscience type of thing. But lately, our society seems a little bit to very much reject the idea of someone standing for something, especially if that thing which they are standing for is personally offensive in any way. Now, obviously, the result of this on a long enough timeline will be uh, a whole society that falls for anything simply because they've chosen to stand for nothing. I think we're well on our way to that. But I'd like to share some verses from Scripture uh, with this or from the perspective of this idea of standing and then I don't know if I've shared this book with you before, but there's a book that I very much enjoy entitled Gaining Favor with God and Man by William Thayer. And there's a part in here about the idea of standing that I'd like to read to you. Um, by the way, folks, the pastor that trained me, he told me one time, you'll never go wrong by investing in books. And I have found that to be true. In fact, that is the one liberty that my wife and I very much agree on concerning things that we that we will invest in and spend money on. Um, books are a worthwhile thing to fill your home with, to fill your office with, to fill your space with. That's neither here nor there, there, uh, there, there. That's neither here nor there, or there's no there, there. Whichever one you want to take from that, use it as you will. Let's talk about the idea of standing. I want to I want to draw your attention very first uh, or for the first part of this to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says in uh, verse 13 through 14 it says watch ye stand fast in the faith quit you like men be strong let all your uh, excuse me let all your things be done with charity let all your things be done with charity. You find this phrase here right away. It says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men. Be strong. This is a wonderful verse. I want to show you what the some of these words means. Uh, when when it's, This verse starts off by saying, watch, 
And that word, when you uh, take a look at what that means, it quite literally means to keep awake, to be vigilant. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Gadsden flag, but the bright yellow flag with the snake that says, do not tread on me, that is entitled the Gadsden flag. It was named after the gentleman who designed it named General Gadsden, and he used the snake um, specifically with the phrase, don't tread on me, um, referencing a person's rights, because the snake, that particular snake, has no eyelids, and he said that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, and that's what this word means, watch. In other words, it's stay awake, stay eternally vigilant, and it says stand fast. And so the next thing, the next word I want to describe is that word, which is a compound word, stand fast. Uh, it's a, in the perfect tense. That means to be stationary. It gives you the picture. I don't know if you're agriculturally minded at all, but the idea of standing fast gives you the picture of what's referred to as like a plant system or a tree with a tap root. Now, when you think of roots, roots will spread out north, west, east, south. They'll go 360 degrees, providing stability for the canopy above the ground and the trunk and the tree, but they're also searching for nutrients. There is one root, however, that has a different job. It's called the taproot, and the taproot's job isn't to provide stability for the plant. That's what the other roots do. It just goes straight down. As long as the tree is going up, the taproot is going down. And its one job is the pursuit of nourishment. That taproot, the deeper that goes, the more stable and strong that tree becomes. And that's what that word stand fast means. It means you're going to stand so purposefully still, so unmovably settled that your taproot is sinking down to find those nourishments. Your other root systems are spreading out to provide that stability. And so you're going to persevere. You're going to stand fast. It says, in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. So we understand that the call for men to stand isn't according to what we think or to stand according to our own morals or our own sense of justice. It's to stand fast according to the faith, to persevere unmovable according to the faith which has been delivered. It's talking about the Word of God. It says, quit you like men. Be strong. That word strong simply means to be empowered, to increase, ever to be increasing, and to be strengthened continuously over time. And so if we look at this verse, it says, watch ye, that's the idea of eternal vigilance. There's never a dull moment. There's never a down day. Watch ye, stand fast, sink that taproot, sink those stability roots deep into the ground of the Word of God, pulling your nourishment, pulling your, your courage, pulling your um, nutrients from the doctrine of the Word of God, and quit you like men. In other words, don't let go. Don't let go. Be strong. In other words, this is going to be something that you're going to continuously do. You don't achieve it. I told the folks here 
at Wasatch Front Baptist Church, success is not achieved, it's lived. Success that is achieved becomes failure because you can't stop moving. You're either going forward or you're going backward. And so this, the most successful people understand that they have to continually be going forward. Success is lived presently in the now, day to day to day. Success is not achieved. As soon as you begin to rest on your achievements, on your laurels, you will begin to go backwards. This is why throughout history, wealth has rarely survived three generations. Because we get this idea that we can relax, that we can rest on our success. Well, the only type of success that lasts is the type of success that is directly linked to the work that continues. When the work stops, the success stops as well. Standing is the exact same thing. Standing is a lifestyle. Standing for the truth is a thing that can only be done in the present. It can only be done right now. You can prepare for it, but you can only do it. You can, you can prepare for it in the future tense, but you can only apply it. You can only do it in the present tense. And so being strong is something that you should be doing in an, in an advanced way through the progression of your life. The moment you think, I've arrived, I've achieved strength, I've achieved success, I can relax my stand, you're going to start to see that thing start to go the other way because it's now not being fed. And so standing is something that needs to be done in the now, always in the now, continuously in the now. Verse 14 says, let all your things be done with charity, charity being that word for love. Now, I want you to understand, sometimes when we are told to stand, we have this concept in our mind that, uh, that we have to be jerks, that we have to stand for something in a mean way. The Bible says that that's not exactly how this works. Uh, if you're going to stand for the Lord, it's going to require some, some guts. It's going to require some very settled, deep, uh, deeply sunk roots. But it's also going to be done from the perspective of love. Folks, it doesn't, you don't have to be a jerk to stand for the truth. You don't have to be mean and abrasive to stand for the truth. Standing for the truth can be done and must be done. If it's going to be done effectively, it must be done with love, with charity, the Bible says. And so stand. Now, why am I saying all this? Because the society that we live in attacks people who take stands. You've heard of the idea of um, different types of uh, political perspectives or platforms on which people kind of build their narrative. The and, I, and again, I don't, I don't like getting political on this, but so much of life has become political because politics in, has invaded into standards of morality. And I'm not going to be quiet over morality because someone told me that it's political. It's not political. It's moral. Um, but that's where we are today. And so <clears throat> when you think about this idea, when someone tells me 
that uh, in order to be politically acceptable or morally acceptable, I have to move off of an object of reality of truth, an object of doctrine of the Word of God. I want you to understand, standing is going to require some confrontation, but you can be purposefully still exactly where the Lord puts you. You can stand for the truth, for morality, for righteousness, and when I say truth, I mean objective truth, not subjective truth, objective, real truth. You can stand for those things without being abrasive about it, without being a jerk. You cannot back off from the truth, but you can do it in such a way that it's done through love to other people, which is lost in the sauce a little bit sometimes. Okay, So let's just keep looking at this idea of standing. Over in Philippians chapter 1, there's some verses that give us a little bit more of a picture of this idea of standing. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 says this, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, if you don't know anything about the book of Philippians, this is in a, a, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, and his pleading with them is that they stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's talking to a local church body here, and his plea to them, his his, uh, his, his number one request is that they stand. Now, now, I want you to ask yourself, what type of environment do you think was going on that caused Paul to write a letter to this church pleading that they stand? Folks, I want you to understand that you don't have to plead with someone to stand when it's easy to stand. You don't have to plead with someone or write letters of encouragement to someone to stand for something when standing doesn't cost anything. But when standing becomes difficult, when the society attacks those that stand, when, when life happens and standing becomes weary, it does take some encouragement to maintain that position. And so if you see here, it says, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. So what's one of the number one ways that I can stand? Well, I stand in the gospel. My conversation is in keeping with the doctrine of the word of God. My conversation meaning the way I live my life, not just the words of my mouth, but the actions that I choose to live by. Okay, it goes on. It says, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast. Stand fast, there is a word, it's a perfect tense, again, that means to be uh, stationary to the point of persevering. Persevering. I'm, 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 the pastor that trained me made a comment one time that I'll never forget. He said, Nolan, you must be equal to the task until the task is finished. And that's what standing looks like. Standing is easy in the beginning. But the longer you stand, the heavier the weight becomes, the greater the burden affects you. And you must be able to stand through the burden. 
stand through the wait, stand to the very end. Folks, the moment I put the weight down, in other words, if I quit, my stand means nothing. No one ever looks back on someone who said, well, he was successful for a little bit. No, no, no. The success that matters is the success that lasts to the end, not the success that says, I used to be once was that thing. Success that matters is success that stands to the end. It perseveres. It is eternal. And so you have this idea. He says, I must hear your affairs that ye stand fast. And how do you stand fast? In one spirit, the Bible says, with one mind, with one mind. In one spirit, with one mind. That word mind there is uh, it, it's, it's the idea of it, it just, it's distinguished on the hand and form of the rationale. It's the immortal soul. One mind. In other words, standing for something effectively with a group of people can only be done when that group of people are standing for the same thing. Their rationale, their soul, their heart, their mind, their desires are pointed towards the same direction. With one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That word striving together, compound word again, it's a, it literally means um, to seek jointly. It's labor that is like a co-labor. You, one gets the picture here of like oxen in a yoke. You know, it's a, I used to play football, and one of the most beneficial things, um, especially on the offensive line, was being able to control another man's body. Um, and it's going to be against his will, okay, because he's trying to do one thing. I, I enjoyed defense better because you didn't have to know so many plays, and you had one job. Just find whoever had the ball and absolutely crush him. But when you're on offense, uh, you've got a little bit more to worry about. You got to know all the plays. You got to know where the ball's going. If it's going to be a pass, a sneak, a run, you got to provide all the protection for the hands team guys. And uh, if you've got somebody on that O line that's not doing their job, then it doesn't matter how effective the rest of them are, because you're only as effective as you are as a team as one unit. Every single guy on that O-line has to know exactly what they're doing. They have to know exactly where they're going to push the opposition to make a clear hole for the hands team guys, whether it's the running back or the fullback or the quarterback himself. It doesn't really matter. What matters is you do your job, and you do your job as a team, because if one person doesn't do it, then the rest don't matter. And that's exactly what standing looks like. Standing, especially in the, compa- uh, in the capacity of a, of a team, a family, a church, it means you have to stand together. You're going in one direction. You're going uh, it, with one heart and one mind towards one goal. You have an accord together. You're stuck together by choice, by willing submission to a greater thing than yourself. That's how you stand for something. That stand is frowned upon today, whether it's a personal stand or a corporate stand. Anything that says uh, this is the line and you're not getting past it is looked at horribly, and we define it with whatever most common and, 
and hip trend phobia you want to attach to it. You're this phobic or you're that phobic or whatever. Listen, that's all nonsense, folks. And the more you let yourself be pushed around by people who try to label you with certain types of phobias, the less you stand, and the less you stand, the less effective that stand becomes, and you ultimately will live in a generation that we created our own selves by choosing not to stand for the truth. When you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Standing. It's an interesting concept. If you jump down to uh, verse 41 in the same uh, same same context, Philippians 1, uh, 41. No, there is no 41, so I don't know why I wrote that. If I jump over to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, the Bible's full of this concept or, or, or verses about the value of standing, and you'll never find it apart from truth. You'll always find standing very tightly linked in with the concept and the reality of truth. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, the Bible says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said they any of them that ought of, them th- that, that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common." part I want to draw your attention to is this is the early church, and they said that uh, these that were members of the church were of one heart, of one soul. One heart and one soul. That's a group of people that are going in the same direction, believing the same thing. That's how you stand. Can you imagine two oxen linked into a yoke who both had different opinions about the directions that they would rather go? Nothing would get done. You'd have one going east, and you'd have one trying to go west, and in reality, both would be going nowhere. So how do you stand? Well, you stand for something in a group, in a team that stands together, one heart, one soul, one mind. If you make this personal, the Bible says that man cannot love God and mammon, mammon being money. In other words, on on a personal level, on an individual level, how do you stand? Well, you're either going to stand for God or you're not. You're either going to stand for what the Bible says is right or you're not. And if I don't stand for all of it, then I don't stand for any of it. If I stand for some of it, then what makes me any different from anybody else who picks and chooses the things they want to stand for? Folks, I was in the Marine Corps, and in the Marine Corps, there was no option. You did what you were told. You became a part of a team, and you stood for something that meant more than yourself. You, you stood for something, and you fought for something, and you believed in something that had a deeper meaning than your own opinions. And the moment somebody deviated from that, it was very clear. There was a problem. There's a lack of morale. There's, there's issues within the ranks. And this is the same thing for your own self. You stand before God in the entirety of what God says, or you don't stand at all. And standing is what our world is missing. Men who stand, people, mothers who stand for the truth, young people, young ladies, young men who stand up and say, no, we're not going to play that game here. We're not backing down from objective reality. We're not going to play the name game, the pronoun game, the, the gender game. We're not doing that. 
That's not real. We're going to live in the truth. We're not going to live by lies. We're going to stand on the truth, and I'm not moving. Folks, that's what standing means, standing for the truth. You don't have to stand for something that doesn't have an objective point. If, if the goalpost is always moving, if, if, the, if the definition of what is and what isn't is open for interpretation, depending on how you feel, then you don't really have to stand for anything. What you have to stand for is that which is objective reality. You have to stand there. And when people try to push you off that, you have to sink your support system and your taproot down into that which gives you strength, not down into that which you think is how you feel you want to live. If you jump over, um, we're in chapter 4. If we jump backwards to chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, <clears throat> Acts 2.44, we'll find the Bible says this, And all that believed were together and had all things common. All that believed were together. Folks, standing requires singleness of mind, singleness of purpose, singleness of heart. There's a great section of Scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 that gives us um, the story of men who could keep rank. And if I could just go through and read some of these to you, I think you'll enjoy it. First Chronicles chapter 12, um, starting in verse 1, Now these are they that came to David, to Ziglag, while he yet kept himself close because of Saul the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. They were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. And so you've got all these people, these men who are coming to the, to the aid of David, and they're armed men, they're very skilled men. The Bible says they were ambidextrous in combat. They could use the right and the left hand. If you jump down to verse 4, it says that these mighty men among them, uh, a mighty man among 30 and over 30, and so it gives their rank structure here. Very interesting, gives their rank structure. Verse 8 um, it says, they separated themselves unto David into the hold to the wilderness, men of might and men of war fit for the battle that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as rose upon the mountains. Can you imagine that? Rose, it's like an Asiatic, like a mountain deer. And it says these men were very quick and nimble, across the mountains, had the faces of lions. It gives you the sense of purpose and resolve in what they were doing. It says they were mighty men. It says their, their hold was in the, the wilderness. They were men fit for the battle. That word fit is a word that not only means physical strength, but it also means uh, very particularly uh, mental strength. And mean, in other words, you're you're given to the cause so much that this is where you study, this is where your mind is, this is the entertainment that you seek, this is the literature that you consume. I'm fit for the battle. This is very specifically what I'm doing. I'm doing nothing else. This is my calling in life. So how do you stand? Will you sell yourself out to the cause? 
When David, by the way, went to fight, and in fact, he didn't even go to fight. He was sent by his father uh, in, in 1 Samuel. He was sent by his father to bring supplies to his brothers. And when he got there, Goliath was calling out the nation of Israel. And his David was heard saying, is there not a cause? He understood this is something that needs to be stood for. And he stood for it. And the type of men that were attracted to him all throughout his life were similar men, men who stood for the cause, regardless of whatever anger that, that put on some social, economic, political, whatever. They didn't care. They stood for what was right. If we stay in First Chron- Chronicles chapter 12, um, we find that these men were incredibly gifted, they were fit, they were particular. Jump down to verse 21. It says, They helped David against the band of the rovers, for there were all mighty men of valor. Verse 23 says they were ready, armed to the war. Verse 20 says, 24 says they bear shield and spear, ready, armed to the war. Verse 25 says they were mighty men of valor for the war. Verse 28 says young men mighty of valor. Verse 30 says they were mighty men of valor, famous throughout the house of their fathers. So so these were men that were known for standing for the truth. Their reputation preceded them. Verse 32 says men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. In other words, they didn't have their head in the sand. These men understood very clearly that they had a job to do. They understood what the job was. They understood what was going on in that time and place, the the political and socioeconomic, whatever you want to say. They understood what was going on, and they were sold out. They were standing with one man, one heart, one mind. In fact, you see this in verse 33, such as went forth to keep battle, expert in war, with all instruments of war, 50,000, which could keep rank. They were not of double heart. They could keep rank. They were men who subjectively put themselves under authority. They obeyed. They had one heart, one mind, one direction. The Bible says they could keep rank. This is how you stand. You stand with abandonment to everything else. This is what we're missing today. This is what the world doesn't have. People who give themselves to a cause and stand. And I'm not talking about subjective causes. I'm not talking about worldly, lustful, sinful causes. Give themselves over to the cause of righteousness, to the doctrine of the Word of God. Remember, standing effectively can only be done when you're grounded in the truth. When you sink your taproot down and your support system into something that doesn't provide any truth, any sub-objective reality, then you're not going to be able to stand because there's nothing there that holds you up. If I want to stand, if I want to be held up, I've got to sink myself down into something that has some substance that can keep me standing. If I sink myself down into the philosophy of this world, the Bible says in Colossians 2.8, the, the rudiments of this world, the philosophy and the traditions of men, if I sink myself down into that, there's nothing there. It's going to come up short. You're going to fall over. But if I can sink myself down into objective reality, the love of God, the truth of God, the doctrine of God, the commandments of God, 
then there's something that keeps me standing when the time comes when standing's not so easy. You see the same thing in verse 34. Um, it says, with shield and spear, uh, verse 15, uh, excuse me, verse 35, expert in war. Verse 36, such as went forth in battle, expert in war. Verse 37, all manner of instruments of war for the battle. Verse 38, all these men of war that could keep rank came with perfect heart. All these men of war, the Bible says, that could keep rank came with perfect heart. Why is America so divided today? Everything's divided. Every, every concept of reality is divided. We're divided by race. We're divided by religion. We're divided by um, money. We're divided across the board. Why? Because there is no keeping... There is no American uh, idea, the idea that we assimilate together into one thing, going into war towards one direction. That country or that direction, this country's direction, used to be a nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. But now we've done our dead-level best to get rid of that God, to remove him from our pledge of allegiance, to remove him from our money, to remove him from our schools, to remove him from our society. And now we're not American anymore. We're African-American or Asian-American or Mexican-American or whatever other type of prefix we are and then American. What's happening? Well, we're separating ourselves. We're, we're, we're dissimulation. We're, we're dissim, um, uh, dissolving, uh, uh, pulling ourselves apart according to the, the lowest common denominator. If you're black, you go over there. If you're white, you go over there. If you're rich, you go over there. If you're if you're poor, you go over there. If you're Christian, you go over there. If you're Islamic, you go over there. We're just separating, 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 tearing it down, putting people into categories, not letting them rise above it, not letting anybody be individuals. Well, you can't stand like that. A nation that is divided will fall. Folks, these are some of the oldest truths in existence, and I think we've forgotten them because we've got lazy, we've gotten, we've gotten fat and lust, luxurious on all of our pleasurable, instant, gratifying lifestyles. The reality is we're not standing anymore. We're falling. We're falling fast. How do you rescue it? How do you stop the free fall? Folks, find church, find truth, and don't back down from it. Vote your conscience. Stop voting for the lesser of two evils or for the one the political party feeds you. Vote your conscience. Vote what's right, not what's beneficial to a system. If you don't have anybody that, that meets the requirements of morality, but maybe you be that person. You be the moral person. Folks, this is how we got here. We got here by, by separating ourselves into ideas and, and, and systems and cultures, and that's not, that's not, it's not functional. You can't remove God from a nation that was built on the fundamentals of Christianity and expect that nation to continue. I want to read something to you from a book entitled Gaining Favor with God and Man by William Thayer. This is under a section entitled 
perseverance. And if you bear with me here, perseverance is singleness of purpose and application on the home stretch. It is the going to the end of the long pull, the strong pull, the pulling together. President Lincoln was asked, how does Grant impress you as a leading general? The greatest thing upon him, President Lincoln responded, is cool persistency of purpose. He is not easily excited, and he has the grip of a bulldog. When he once gets his teeth in, nothing can shake him off. That is perseverance, putting the teeth of invincible purpose into the object sought and holding on until it is yours. Even in religion, this is the condition the angel will go if you will let him. Jacob wrestled with him and compelled him to stay or bless. He cried, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Success yields to such persistency as the angel did. It is only when a person is sure of being in the right way that perseverance becomes a great blessing to him. The Bible calls it patient continuance in well-doing. This is the perseverance of the saints. But patient continuance in evil-doing is the perseverance of sinners, which every wise and thoughtful youth must shun. Stevenson, the inventor of the locomotive, addressed an audience of mechanics in the city of Leeds, his purpose being to encourage them in persistent efforts to reach a higher standard in their pursuits. Quote, I stand before you, he said, as a humble mechanic. I commenced my career on a lower level than any man here. I make this remark to encourage you mechanics to do as I have done, to persevere. The humblest of you occupy a much more favorable position than I did on convincing my life, or excuse me, on commencing my life of labor. The civil engineer has many difficulties to contend with, but if the man wishes to rise to the higher grades of the profession, he must never see any difficulties before him. Obstacles may appear to be difficulties, but the engineer must be prepared to throw them overboard or to conquer them. It is characteristic of perseverance not to see difficulties or expect defeat. It anticipates success. When Columbus was searching for the new world, his ship grew, excuse me, his ship crew became discouraged and rose in rebellion. They insisted upon turning back instead of persevering on quote a fool's errand. There was no new world to be found in their view, but this commander expected to find it. He had not the least doubt of it. Still, under the circumstances, he was obliged to compromise with them, and he promised that if they would be patient and faithful three days longer, he would abandon the enterprise unless land should be discovered. Before the three days expired, however, the new world burst upon their view. The last three days was the gift of perseverance, and it saved the expedition from disaster and disgrace. 
The three days were only a fractional part of the time consumed by the voyage, but they were worth the, uh, to Columbus all that his life and the new world were worth. Months and years of labor, study, and care had been spent requiring decisions, energy, industry, and courage, clear up to the last three days, all of which would have been worse than wasted had Columbus yielded to the mutiny and abandoned the enterprise. Such is frequently the value of even one day or hour in accomplishing a purpose. That brief time rested from the ignoble failure is not only worth more than all the rest, but it gives value to all the rest. Robert Bruce took this hint from a spider. He had made several unsuccessful attempts to possess his kingdom and crown, and his heart began to fail him. He was exhausted, and he was seeking concealment from his foes in a shattered barn, where lying upon his back, he discovered a spider casting its silken line from one beam to another. Six times in succession, the attempt was made and failed, but the seventh time, the persistent little spider succeeded. Bruce took the hint and sprang to his feet, his soul on fire with hope revived, and his heart expectant of victory, and he soon sat upon the throne of Scotland. He learned that the value of the seventh effort was greatest of all, indeed, that all previous efforts were valueless without it. Many years ago, a student lost his eyesight by a missile thrown by a classmate. His father was an eminent jurist and was educating the son for the bar. But this calamity prevented the prosecution of the original plan. Strange as it may seem, however, the son resolved to become an author. He spent 10 years of close, systematic study using the eyes of an assistant, of course, before he selected his theme. Then he spent another 10 years in careful research, exploring archives and libraries, correspondences, and consulting official documents and old chronicles. Then followed his great history. (laughs) Wow. The Perseverance of Prescott is almost unparalleled in human effort. Folks, stand for something. Standing for something might be the most difficult thing that you ever do, but it's guaranteed to be the most rewarding thing that you could possibly do. Stand for something. Stand for the truth. Stand for right. Stand for morality. Stand for objective truth. Don't let people convince you of things that you know aren't true. Don't play the games. Don't live by lies because lies are more convenient. Live by the truth. Stand for the truth. Strive together for the truth. Live by the righteousness of God the Father. This, this, this podcast is called On Being Christian. So you understand that I'm talking to you from the perspective of this being a Christian characteristic, a Christian moral choice that you must make. If you don't want to make this choice, you want to live in some other way, that's, that's your call. 
Just don't say that you're a Christian while you're doing it. Because being a Christian, according to the Bible, means standing for the truth. And standing for the truth means you can't live by lies. And not living by lies means not only that you don't lie, but you don't let others convince you to turn your truth, your, your truthful gaze away. You live according to the truth, even if that means not accepting lies that people tell you. Stand. It won't be the easiest thing that you'll ever do. In fact, I guarantee you, it will be the hardest thing you ever do. But it will be the most valuable thing you ever do. And if enough of America does it, this country will change for the better. I promise you. Folks, I love you. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking to you if I ever should get the chance to meet you. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me directly at the uh, church website here. It's uh, wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. There's a link in there where you can send a direct uh, communication to me via email or the church office phone number's on there, and I will get um, back to you if I miss you or be more than happy to talk to you if I catch you when you call. I'm going to ask the Lord to bless this, and I'll talk to you next time. Father, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Help us, Father, to stand in ways that we don't even understand yet how to do it. We leave these things in your hands, and we ask that you would bless us, and that we, in turn, Father, with your grace and by your ability, would bless you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks. I look forward so much to talking to you next time. God bless.